Welcome to Odo Mentor, the podcast that provides mentorship for your otolaryngology career. I'm your host, Christina Cabrera Muffley. All opinions expressed in this podcast are solely my own or my guests and do not express the views or opinions of my employer. This is episode five choosing otolaryngology as a specialty. My guest today is Brooke McConnell. She is the site director of otolaryngology at the Denver Veterans Administration and on the faculty at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. Brooke graduated from medical school at the University of Colorado, then stayed on for residency training. She is engaged in resident education and runs our residency program's VA rotations. Brooke is married to an anesthesiologist and has a very active two-year-old son. Thanks for being on the show, Brooke. Thanks for having me. Tell me about your role at the VA at the University of Colorado. Yes. So I currently am the section chief or the division chief of otolaryngology at the VA. And I, in that role, serve as the the site director at the uh, VA for our residents. And and through my role as the site director, um, I have various roles within the educational components of the the residency program. Let's figure out how you got there, right? So Mm -hmm. How did you decide on otolaryngology originally? Yeah, so this is uh, interesting. So I initially came into medical school thinking I would do women's health for no apparent reason, had zero experience in it, just that sounded great. And then in our very first block, so I was part of the initial rollout of the integrated curriculum at the School of Medicine here. So they condensed all of anatomy down to a couple of months. Um, and so we ended up ha- having head and neck anatomy very quickly within the first couple of months of uh, medical school. Liked anatomy, really liked head and neck anatomy. And in that had a uh, lecture by Mona Abaza. She came and did, I-, I couldn't tell you exactly what the lecture was, like laryngolo- you know, larynx anatomy or something like that. But thought, oh, this is interesting. Had never heard of it. Didn't do a whole lot with ENT that first year. Ended up over the summer kind of dabbling in some mentorship relationships with um, Peggy Kelly and um, Dr. Baza as well. Ended up starting an interest group. And then in my second year, the School of Medicine offers a elective rotation. Really liked it and then continued to stay involved and very quickly, I think in those first couple of years, shifted away from women's health, shifted over into ENT very quickly. Yeah. Well, it's worth noting that Mono Baza was the program director at the time. Yes. So that would have created a pathway for mentorship. Right. And also the other thing that I think of when you say that is that actually women's health OBGYN has a lot of crossover with our field because it's surgical and medical and, but it's a narrower patient population. Right. Exactly. And the funny thing is, is that as I went into med school, you know, I think people talk about, you know, making this division between like, oh, I'm a medicine person or I'm a surgery person. I never felt like I made that conscious decision one way or the other. I just always sort of gravitated more towards the surgical fields in general. So I don't know if I was always going to be a surgeon or if that's just the way I went, but uh, I, I don't ever recall really ever making that conscious decision. Yeah. And I think surgeons also oftentimes get billed as like the non-compassionate, holistic. Yeah. In these fields, we have to do some of both. Oh, absolutely. And some of the most compassionate people I know are surgeons. Yeah. Hands down. Besides women's health, any other specialties that you considered along the way? Yeah. So moving into third year, moving into fourth year, starting to put you know residency applications together. 
had a reasonable application. I think everybody thought like, oh yeah, you'll do okay. You'll match. It'll be fine. But a lot of people in medicine are type A's, right? You got, you got to have a backup plan. You got to have a, um, so- something to fall back on should your, should your hopes and dreams not come true. So, um, my backup was general surgery. Okay. And yeah. so did you apply to I did not. program? You just had that as your yeah, like, okay, so if I don't match and I have to scramble, I'm going to try to scramble into um, a prelim spot and then I'll try to get, you know, a general surgery residency position if I can't do ENT. Like that was the backup yeah. to my now husband's great dismay. <laughs> he was not excited about the, the thought of me being a general surgeon. But, because? Uh, I mean, he's an anesthesiologist. He, you know, he sees what I think their lifestyle can be based on sort of what you choose to do out of general surgery. So he was just very much not excited about that. Yeah. Can you speak to the lifestyle of ENT versus other surgical fields? I think so. I mean, having not ever practiced another field of medicine, I can only speculate a little bit. But I think the bottom line in my mind now being four years into practice is your lifestyle is what you make of it. Like you can work as much or as little as you want. And it's very much dependent on what is important to you and what your career goals are and what you want your spectrum of practice to be. I would probably work equally as much no matter what I did. But I think ENT is one of those fields that allows you to do that. You know, you can be a total workaholic and work 12 hour days every day of the week if that's what you want to do. Or conversely, you can have a little bit more of a laid back practice uh, that affords a richer life outside of medicine. So uh, it's, it's a nice specialty in that sense. So once you got into otolaryngology and started your residency here, how did you decide what you wanted to do as far as general practice, which is what you decided, or fellowships? Yeah, I struggled with that decision. I remember being a third and a fourth year and really thinking like, oh, I really like this. I really like that. You know, and one of the other questions, what are some of the things that you learned about the specialty after you came into residency? And one of those is the diversity and wide scope that ENT covers you just get this very finite picture as, as a medical student, for better or for worse, it just is. Um, but when you come into it, you're like, wow, you do so much more than I ever thought you could do in a specialty. Because I found that I liked a little bit of everything, it was really hard for me to choose one thing. And I think I hear that a lot from a lot of generalists. But for me, it was really true. So I think there were there was that aspect of it. I also was not in a place in my personal life where picking up and leaving was a great option. You know, I think it's the choices you make when you are in relationships where you have children are sometimes different than they would be if you were totally single and had no commitments or ties to anything. But it's about finding the balance of what works there. And for me, it worked there. And really, for me, the thing that made it work was the choice of the job coming out of residency. And I was lucky to find a position where I could sort of build the practice that I wanted to have. And I could focus a little bit on a subspecialty-ish type practice that allowed me to focus a little bit more, allowed me to do the cases that I wanted to do to work with patient population I wanted to work with. So for me, I, I tell people it was like the stars aligned and it just worked out or I got lucky. I was like in the right year and the, right, the position came up at the right time. For our listeners who don't necessarily know, the VA before you took over was run by a couple of the university docs Mm -hmm. who would go over one or two days a week. Right. It seemed a little bit fragmented. Right. There wasn't as much continuity over there. And so you were hired to be the continuity and be there full time. Correct. Yeah. And that's no fault of anybody's. I mean, it's just when you are trying to run a department and you're not there every day, it's really hard. It's really hard to make the relationships with 
the you know executive leadership in the hospital or to form clinician to clinician relationships. It's hard to form that network when you're not there every day. It's also hard to just know what's happening on a day-to-day basis in your clinics and in the ORs when you're not there. And so I think we have made some really good positive changes in the VA. We have increased continuity of care. We've increased access. We've butterflied from this very sort of low performing department to being one of the higher performing departments in the Department of Surgery, which is really nice. It's nice to not be on the bad list all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I'm sure that our chair appreciates that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 I'm sure. Either. When you applied for positions, was there a conscious thought process of staying in Colorado? Because you've been here the whole time. So I've been here the whole time. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. was that a conscious decision? Was that a, what was the reasoning behind that? Something that has come up frequently throughout my short career in medicine is that I will meet people who are not from here that say, gosh, don't you want to live somewhere else? And I say, mm, not really. <laughs> I've, I've visited a lot of places. There are a lot of really nice places. I really like it here. And so it worked out for me in that sense. Again, so we sort of talked a little bit about personal life stuff, but I also had uh, my, at the time, fiance was a very established partner in a private anesthesiology group. And so, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out that you can go far and away. Um, and sometimes you make choices based on your life's circumstance. And for me, it worked out really well. Well, and you were the caliber of person that we clearly wanted to stay, right? So that's, (laughs) yeah, so that also plays into it, right? Because sometimes you can't choose where you're going to be. But if you are an excellent applicant for whatever position, then that helps a lot. Well, and, and I, you know, this was a bit of advice that I got a lot when I was coming out of residency, when I was struggling with fellowship, no fellowship, what type of practice did I want to go into? You know, people would say, does it matter uh, so much? You're going to have to build a practice wherever you go. I don't think you just have the bandwidth as a resident to even understand that or the experience to understand what that's like, but you come out and yeah, you got to build the practice that you want to have. And I was just very fortunate that I had nearly a blank slate to work with. So alluding to that, what are the things that you wanted to do What are the things that you do at the VA that you feel like are an opportunity for you there? There were a lot of opportunities. So there was a lot of room for growth. There was a lot of room for improvement. I think one of the things that I am the most proud of is our cancer program there. We've worked really hard. And Julie Goddard, who's on the adult faculty here at university, she's one of the microvascular head and neck people. She comes over and she has been really instrumental. And she and I have worked together to build up a more comprehensive head and neck program there. So we've brought microvascular back to the VA there, which I think you talk to a lot of people in the country. There are some places that do microvascular, but not that many. And people think you're a little bit crazy for doing it. But it actually works out really well. And it's one of the things that is important to me and I've worked really hard to establish. And we continue to sort of grow the cancer program. And looking back over the last four years, it's been hard um, to build that, but it's been really meaningful. Yeah, well, and I'm sure the patients really appreciate it, not having to go to an yeah. outside institution to get their care. I think so. You know, we've had patients that could have gone other places that have chosen to stay with us, which means a lot. Are you glad that you chose the specialty? I'm super glad I chose the specialty. You know, there's a question, you know, what would you choose if you couldn't do this? And it would come with a heavy sigh because I don't like the thought of having to choose another specialty. And I can very quickly throw out about 99% of other medical specialties because I just love otolaryngology. You know, if you made me choose, I would probably go down the general surgery path again. 
but it feels wrong to say that because I like, <laughs> I like my specialty. What do you like the most? Right now, I'm just really pleased with my practice. Like, I really like the trajectory of where my clinical practice is going. I, I am liking what we're doing. I'm liking what we're building. I like the freedom to build my base of comfort where I want it to be, you know, what subspecialty I want to focus on. I am happy enough with where I am in a leadership position, but I'm continuing to sort of work on that as, as I move along both within the VA and outside the VA, but uh, that just takes a lot of time. So I, I think that's a hard place to be fully like happy with. I think that's sort of always an evolving process. I feel very at peace with where I am. I feel like I've come a long way with working with residents. That has been, that was a hard transition for me and worked hard in the first couple of years to really figure out how is it that you teach residents and how is it that you were in clinic in the OR and how do you build those relationships? And and that too is sort of a moving target, but I feel like I'm in a more comfortable place there and I'm happy with that. So I hope that answers that question. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. What do you like the least? About otolaryngology or about my job? Both. Well, I suppose I could probably answer that in one broad statement. I think the things that I like least about those two topics is what I like least about medicine. And that's sort of the bureaucracy of medicine that exists. And people are like, oh, the VA, I understand. No, it's not just the VA. Every system, like the university has it, private practice has it, the VA has it, HMO, like Kaiser type systems, they have it. Everybody has their administrative bureaucracy that they have to deal with. It's in a different flavor depending on the institution, but that is the part of medicine that I think can get heavy sometimes. We were sort of lamenting about it yesterday about how, gosh, wouldn't it be so nice to just see patients write a note and go home? But that's not always the reality of medicine. And some days that feels heavier than others, but it's it exists in all of medicine. Do you think that's more common in the academic realm versus private practice? I don't know. I've never practiced private practice. My only reference for private practice is my husband's practice, and he's an anesthesiologist. And so they have just, a, their practice just looks so different, right? They're not having pre-op visits and post-op visits. And, you know, it's just such a different structure. But I think it probably has more to do with how thorough you want to be, right? So with documentation, like you can write the longest note you want, or you can write the shortest note you want. There's probably a sweet spot in between. But I think it's a little bit personality-based and how involved you choose to become in issues. Yeah. So to take off medicine from the table, mm -hmm. if you couldn't become a doctor and you had to choose a different career, yeah. what would you choose? Yeah, I was thinking about this in the car ride over. So I've thought about this, not because I feel like I need a career change or anything, but I've always just wondered, you know, like, what if I hadn't done medicine? What would my 20s have looked like? Where would I be now? And I don't really have a perfect answer for it. I would probably do something in like the artistic realm. Like I would be, you know, an artist and I would make sculptures and whatnot. You know, my, my weak mediums are photography. I just don't have the eye for it. And watercolor, despite many years of painting lessons, like just not a great painter. Okay. In my own mind. So you're a lot more sculpture based. Yeah. I'm like mixed media, fiber arts, like that's where my happy place is. But I don't have, the, uh, it's like as much as I wish that I had the eye for photography, I don't. Henceforth, I spend a lot of extra money on family photos multiple times a year to my husband's great dismay. Something along those lines, I think, would be very fulfilling. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. I think sculpture is also surgical, right? So, I mean, it's... Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, working with your hands a little bit more than holding yeah. a paintbrush. I don't know There's something about it that feels a little cliche, but it's really true. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's just, it just is, you know, like, yeah. it's like idle hands. Like, I just need to be doing something. 
Nice. So if your son, I know he's not going to come to you now. He could probably not even say otolaryngologist yet. But uh, uh, Oh, no. Uh-uh. Uh, I don't but, even think he knows that we're physicians. Right. Despite going over the book with, you know, the physicians in it now. So my sons actually thought I was a train conductor. Because <laughs> I... <laughs> Yeah, so I don't know how they got Great. that idea, but I they, like the mental image of that. Well, because I said I was a doctor, and they thought that was a conductor. Doctor. Well, you know, right, and that was their only reference. But, That's fantastic. Um, but let's. <laughs> so if he came to you in twenty something years and said, "Mom, I really want to do what you do. I want to be an otolaryngologist," what would you say? Yeah, I think so. Dual physician household. So we've had this discussion before, my husband and I. Um, I think we would both be super proud that he wanted to be a physician. I think the thing that I would want to make sure is that he was doing it for himself and not for me. Um, Because it's just, number one, it's not worth it to do anything for other people, not when it's that big. Also, medicine is something that you should just really know that you need to do. Because if you don't, I think it's just too hard. It's too long of a road and it's too hard to do it because you think somebody else thinks you should do it. And so I, I think as a parent, the only thing I could possibly convey to him was, I want you to do this because of you. And so I, part of me would like want to push him to try other things. And then if he still loved medicine, like, okay, let's do it. Thanks for being on the podcast. Absolutely. Happy to be here. If you like what you just heard or didn't, please go to my show notes page to let me know your thoughts. There you will find a link to a brief survey so I can improve the quality of this podcast. I would greatly appreciate your help.